Shooting the Breeze is back for 2022. Before we get into our first episode for the year, we want to welcome on board the Island Pacific Soap Company as our first commercial partner. They make high-quality, all-natural, handcrafted bath soap. Check them out online, and a big shout-out to Paul for all the support. In this episode, we round up the WNBL season so far. Round 6 was struck out due to COVID protocols, and since we've taped this episode, Round 7 has started. There's been a lot of magic moments, high drama, big incidents. We get into all of this and more as we explore the long game. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me is Jacinta Govinda, as always, my co-host. We're going to be talking about everything that's been going on with the WNBL since the start of the season. There's a lot to unpack, there's a lot going on, and there's an awful lot that's still up in the air. Jacinta, it's great to have you. I hope you had a great Christmas and New Year. Yeah, it's good to be back. Thank you. And and you too. It feels like we haven't talked about hoops for a long time. <laughs> yeah. And there's been a lot going on, an awful lot going on. We've started the season, which is great. There's been some really good and interesting games going on. Out of the games that we've seen so far, what do you, I mean, I, I think it's been pretty good action all the way around. Yeah, it's been, it's been quite varied. Bit of a sloppy, slow start, I think, in the first couple of rounds. Uh, but that's to be expected considering people haven't consistently played for a long time. Pretty minimal preseason and all the other stuff going on in the world. But they're very quickly picked up. Um, and there's definitely been some outstanding performances and some upsets already. And that last game between Adelaide and Perth, which I'm sure we'll get to as well, was amazing. But it's it's still been a, a very but very entertaining season so far. Yeah, it has. And, I mean, that Perth-Adelaide game was, as you said, something we really want, do want to talk about. And it was an absolute cracker of a game. That kept me on the edge of my seat. I was actually thinking we may end up going into OT on that one. But yeah, it has been sort of like a little bit up and down. On balance, it's great to have the the game back underway. We can't really ignore a couple of things that have come up. One of them being the interruptions from this literally unprecedented outbreak of COVID that's really slammed the league over the last couple of weeks where we've had games getting cancelled left, right and centre and some at, you know, the 11th hour. This is obviously going to be a real challenge for the league, especially, you know, given the the number of games that have had to be postponed that we've got to try and pick up somewhere through, you know, between now and the scheduled end of the season. Yeah, and yeah, the games have been postponed, at least, I'm glad they're at least postponed and not cancelled because postponed means there's another opportunity for the game to be rescheduled at least, but yeah, it's a matter of when it's going to be rescheduled, uh, are we going to see something similar to the Hubble last season where team, some teams are playing two games in a week? Or are we going to see a season that's going to be extended? And it's just such a shame. I think it's a bit of a really perfect example of how we're try, still trying to find balance and normality in our lives and we still just can't get there. Like I know that a lot of things, especially in New South Wales, are opening up again. Um, people are a lot more free to travel between places and over borders and stuff over the Christmas break, which would have been a big relief for a lot of people and their families. But it also puts us all at risk of um, getting COVID and, and spreading COVID and then impacting now our basketball leagues and kind of bringing them all to a halt. So it's that real catch-22 of can I go out and enjoy the freedoms with no restrictions um, with the chance that I will, yeah, end up suspending my season. Yeah, it's. Um, I suppose from my point of view, the biggest impact is that we've also got other sports starting up. You know, AFLW, NRLW is coming. There's only so much, I mean, there's, literally there's only so much TV time that's available. There's going to have to be all sorts of trade-offs. And the longer this goes on, I think the harder it's going to be for the league to try and figure out how to schedule things. Another thing though, I think, that hasn't been made very clear is what the protocols for 
that each team is that have been imposed by the WNBL and BA in terms of, you know, are players restricted with their movements when they're off the court? Do they have to do a rapid antigen test, you know, at every practice, every game, those kinds of things. I don't think some of those guidelines have been made very clear. And based on what I've heard online and through my rumour mill, I don't think a lot of teams have been actually been abiding by that protocol that's been implemented either. I mean, look, if the teams aren't abiding by the protocols, then, you know, I mean, basically they're sowing the seeds of these impacts themselves. Add to that the fact that, you know, the honest truth is we don't know what the protocols are. I don't think they're up there with nuclear launch codes, so it's not going to cause any havoc if BA and WNBL let the fans know what's what sort of steps are being taken to try and improve the chances of games happening, minimise the chances of cancellations uh, and delayed games. So we've said this before, this is one of the big common themes with BA in the league is the communication out to the fans. The fans aren't the enemy, right? In fact, the fans, if they know what's going on, are more than likely to be in a position to support the league um, going forward. Oh, definitely. I think that's a really good point because ultimately you will still want to keep the fans safe as well. You want to be able to reassure them that when they do come and watch a game and take the risk of watching a live game, and I say risk because it is everything's a risk at the moment, you still want to make your fans feel reassured that they're going to be safe at one of the WNBL events. So I think it's fair enough to keep, be uh, really transparent with the fan base and the clubs that are hosting the games about what protocols are in place. And, I mean, I know we're putting a lot of onus on BA and WNBL, but it's ultimately they've got to work with the organisations as well. It should be a collaboration between the two to make sure that the season goes ahead and that everyone is as safe as possible. I know that they're doing things like, um, you know, they're not having any meet and greets at the end of the game and things like that to help minimise some contact, but I feel like we could go a little bit further and feel a little bit supported by the organisation that's putting it on. I suppose when you really sit down and look at it, um, there's a real need for good two-way communication between the league and BA to be happening and have that being pushed out to the fan base. Not because, you know, they've got to tell everybody everything because that's obviously not the case. Mm. But right now, with the fact that there are games dropping off left, right and centre, you really want to be able to keep your fan base engaged and understanding how things are progressing and what's going on. Because if the fans are hearing nothing, then you're going to start getting, you know, and what we've seen happening certainly on Twitter and I'm sure it's happening elsewhere, where there's a lot of opinions coming out of nowhere, um, Mm. be they good, bad or indifferent. And the only thing that I do know is that it is absolutely critical for the funding model for the clubs that they have fans at the games because those ticket sales are really critical for, you know, the revenue for the club. So by keeping the fans engaged, you're maximising the chance of fans coming in. Um, yeah, you definitely got the season ticket holders. They've already paid for their seats. But all those people that don't have season tickets, they're the ones that you want to keep engaged so that they can feel safe going to a game. They can understand what the protocols are, not only for themselves but also for the players, so that they know that, yeah, I've got a level of confidence that I can actually get to a game, which means you're keeping the fans engaged. If the games are on TV the players are getting out there and doing what they got to do. And on top of that, the clubs are getting that revenue, which is going to keep their financial security in place. Totally. Yeah, I totally agree. And you don't want to kind of, you want to kind of keep fans engaged as well. So they've still got interest in the league and in the sport because it's a really disorientating time. And especially when we have a schedule and you've got something to look forward to and there's postponements every week. It's easy to kind of get lost with like, okay, so what's going on? When's the next game? Is this one going ahead? Is this one not going ahead? Yeah, I feel like I'm a little bit lost with it all. So if I didn't have the source of some online platforms or something like that to refer to, I I wouldn't really know. And so I kind of worry about the people who are, you know, kind of fans that maybe passive fans that will kind of want to get into it. I I worry that they're going to kind of be lost and, 
and starting to lose interest because there's, there's not a lot happening at the moment other than sad news. Let's talk about the season. Let's talk about what's been going on with the games and so on. Let's start off with some of the numbers. From my point of view, it's good to see that Mail is absolutely nailing big numbers all over the shop because, you know, we called it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When we have had games, they've been, you know, if you take away some of the stuff that happened in the early rounds because people were obviously, you know, hadn't played for so long that you were right, some of the games were a bit bit rough. But what we have been seeing has been some amazing action. Obviously, that Perth-Adelaide game, the last one, was just amazing to watch. It was real edgy-seat stuff. Oh, that that Perth-Adelaide game... Was that just like watching a grand final? I felt like we had watched the grand final, and I mean, it was a great game to have uh, the last taste in our mouth before all the postponed games. But it was, oh my god, it was so great! It was everyone that we expected to perform well performed well. Uh, bench players from each team stepped up and performed well, and I mean, we knew that Perth were going to be really competitive this season, and we were all anticipating their first game because you know coming in. Uh, five what five weeks after everyone else because of the WA yeah. COVID restri- border restrictions and stuff. Yeah, five weeks. Um, but for me, that means like, uh, I mean, a bit of a fault start. They could go either way. They could have, you know, been really clunky because they haven't got that proper game experience and there's only so much you can get at training and playing practice matches against the under-18 boys and stuff like that. So they could have come out really clunky or they could have come out like all guns blazing and that's thankfully exactly what they did. Like they, it was like they were just prime and ready to play. And it was, it was you know, pretty disappointing for them. I can imagine that they lost. Um, but I was really, really impressed with Adelaide for holding on to get that win. You're right. Adelaide did an amazing job. They played really well. They were able to adjust. I think Perth started to get a little bit a little bit ragged towards the end. That could have been just a lack of match conditioning. You know, as I was watching the game, I was thinking that if this team gets to the point where they're really, you know, match conditioned, you know, three or four four rounds down the road, they're going to be something to look out for. Uh, one of the ones that really impressed me was Scherf. Scherf really uh, stepped up and did the business. There was no question that she was there to play and she did an amazing job on the court. She looked way more comfortable than she has played in a long time. Like she, I remember when she was playing for the Caps and she was a little bit of a star on the rise when she was still playing for the Caps and she still did reasonably well. Then she spent a couple of years in Sydney and you could tell that she just wasn't 100% confident or comfortable with, with what she was doing. But watching her with Perth, like she was just so much more relaxed and a lot more in her element in that first game. So I feel like either the the system works for her or she works for the system or perhaps the coaching staff have just kind of realised like how best to utilise Lauren Scherf under the basket in their team full of uh, all-star three-point shooters. Um, No, I was really, really happy for her. I was really glad that she played so well as well. Look, I'm sure... Having Nat Burton there in, in an assistant coach role, having played with her here in Sydney, would certainly make it a more comfortable transition for Scherf into the Perth system. But I also don't want to take away anything from uh, from Ryan Petrick. He was the assistant to Andy Stewart for an awful long time. There's been a lot of continuity at Perth in terms of coaching staff. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I didn't think of that. Um and Perth, both Perth clubs seem to be really good at that, you know, building the continuity from the coaching staff and then keeping core players around and, and kind of growing from there because it, it, even the Wildcats had the same coaching staff for a really long time. But, yeah, that's I think, can be beneficial not only because, you know, for the players' sense on the court, but I think also off the court and the culture and the expectations of what the players are kind of put upon every season then I feel like it's something, especially if you're a development player, then you're going into a roster spot um, that feels like a little bit more natural of a bit more confident with what your job is when you turn up to work every day. It's not going to change from one second to the other. Watching Perth over a period of time, one of the things that I think is is the case for them is that because there's been that, that level of continuity, there's a comfort level amongst the players. It's not like where you've got teams that are, okay, We've gone a couple of years. This hasn't quite worked out. Let's make 
wholesale changes to try and turn things around. And I think having that level of continuity helps to keep a stable team. And once if the players feel confident in the stability of their team, you get better outcomes from them. Yeah, and I think like people got to remember that professional teams like this, you sometimes have to invest in that, invest in um, the continuity and the culture and having the core players and stability and then letting that grow over a period of time. You can't expect to throw a bunch of players together that look good on paper and expect them to be champions overnight. I think you've, you've, got, to, you've got to grow it like you would um, anything else and be patient with it. And I think you'll end up yielding a lot, a lot better results than what you would think. Like playing the like the long game. I know I'm using a lot of metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's true. I mean, I'm looking at the way that some of the, the, the teams have operated. You know, Adelaide. Adelaide, who matched up so well with Perth, they've had a lot of continuity. I mean, Chris Lucas has been there for a few years now. There's a core of players that seems to have settled in. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. And to be fair, let's say that this is something that obviously the Flames have done by signing Shane Heal for for three years to try and get that, that stability and build their culture and build the team so that they can have a good solid run at the championship. Yeah, yeah, I think that's sensible because one year, you know, what are you going to do in one year? Two years, sometimes it takes you two years, you know, start to get to the point where you want the team to get. So I think three years is a much more reasonable and sensible, like in terms of prospect and planning for a team, I think that's a much more sensible time frame to sign players and, and coaches. Um, but I was going to ask you when we are talking about Perth before, we knew that uh, Marina Mabry was going to be joining the Lynx. You know, she her signing was announced quite a little while ago. And then Sammy's signing was only announced on Christmas Day. Merry Christmas to all of us basketball fans. What did you <laughs> – what was your initial reaction knowing they were going to be on the same team? Did you think that they were going to be, like, great together or do you think they would clash? I think when you get to the point where you play at the level that they play, people are professionals. And look, this is one of the things that I'm a big believer in is if you've got a high performance team, whether it be in sports or in business, people are going to butt heads. Mm. Not because of anything else, but it's because they're the type of characters who want to get such a good outcome that they want to fight fiercely for what they believe is correct. And the difference between a really high performing team and one that isn't quite there is you've got people who can have those fierce conversations but then walk away from it and leave the conflict behind. And I think, you know, that's where the skill of the head coach is to be able to get those people together, let them have those fierce conversations but also manage it so that it doesn't become a toxic environment. But it's it's a positive thing because what you've got is a lot of people with strong opinions but all those opinions are aimed at trying to get to the same goal. There will be disagreements, no question. But I think what you're talking about in people like Sammy and Marina Mabry is that they will have strong opinions, and that's a good thing. And I think what we saw in the court was that you're not going to have people who are going to clash. They're going to work together to get those outcomes. Because, I mean, you can see you see it so often, and I wonder if I see it more often in male sport than female sport when you've got two very dominant, dominant athletes in the same team, dominant in a sense where they're very talented so you've got two very talented athletes that would be expected to lead the team in in their wins and be, be the go-to person, you know, when the game gets down to the line. So, you know, you sometimes do see that those types of egos clash. But I agree. I think Sammy and Marina are going to be cut from the same cloth where they are going to be professionals. Um, and ultimately I don't think either of them are going to care who gets 30 points one game, who gets 30 points the next game. As long as the team wins at the end of the day and they get a championship at the end, that's all that matters. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think the whole team and coaching staff have got their eyes on the box of chocolates at the end of the road. Yeah, (laughs) and that's when, like, what you described as well, that's when it really shows that being an athlete is that's also part of the job. Like, you go to work, uh, you do your job what is one thing, but you also you got to you got to be assertive. You got to set boundaries. You got to take the emotion out of it because ultimately you're all working towards the same thing. 
And then when work's over, you can go and hang out and have Taco Tuesday like they did last week. Did you see that online? No, I didn't. Oh, there was this great Instagram story. I think the Perth Lynx had posted of their Taco Tuesday. Now, Taco Tuesday famously started by LeBron James, but it was, oh my gosh, this spread, it was you know, it's truly fit for a team of athletes. It looks like, I mean, maybe it was some kind of like camera trickery, but it to me looks like a good three meter long table, just like edge to edge of taco ingredients with the whole team and coaching staff around at the Taco Tuesday. And I was like, Oh, I'm a bit jealous. I want in on that. That looks like fun. <laughs> but, yeah, that's the thing. You can have your um, discussions on court and then off court have a taco because, you know, we won or we lost. And if we lost, we're going to still be sticking together. And that's pretty much what it's all about. On the upside, though, there's been some interesting stuff going on. I mean, we've had some big milestones. Unfortunately, there's one that we missed. Amy Clydesdale and Beck Cole hit 200. Abby Bishop hit 250. And Kelly Wilson is waiting for that 400th. Yeah, Kelly Wilson's 400th in brackets pending. Yeah, I was really looking forward to that game. That was one. I Just just for her to get on the court and hit that number 400 because that that's just a huge number. That is a huge effort in terms of WNBL games. I can't fathom doing something 400 times. Like, I know that sounds dumb because we probably, you know, go to bed and wake up 400 times, but something as intense and as uh, something that you have to sacrifice so much for as playing a professional sport 400 times, that blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, I know that there was um, there was an article that Megan Husswaite did where she spoke to a number of players who've hit some quite a number of, of WNBL games. And I think the one that stood out for me was the comment from Karen Dalton, who'd sat on 375, which is, I think was at the top of the, the list for a while. Mm. Um, she said, you know, the only way she could see herself making 400 was in a wheelchair. Wow. That's that's when you know you've been playing a long time and, and I can feel her physical struggle in the stretch of her career. Honestly, that I mean, I was nowhere near as successful as someone like Karen Dalton or Kelly Wilson, but there were points by the time I stopped playing that I would get home from a training session and just be physically exhausted but just in pain where as soon as I sat down I got home and then I'd have it, take my shoes off and I'd have to go up and go to the kitchen and get uh, dinner or whatever. I was just was limping all the way there and it was only like 10 metres away and it's just a, this very sorry limp where it's like your body's telling you it's time to go. I just want that game. I, I really want to see that game rescheduled ASAP. So one of the other big things that came up in the last couple of weeks was the Flames have released uh, Chelsea Dungey. Yes, they have. Yes, yes, yes. What, uh, give me the scoop. What's your scoop on this situation? I have no scoop on this. I'm not. I'm actually not sure why. Uh, I mean, she hasn't played a huge number of minutes, so I'm not quite sure whether it was you know because effectively they haven't replaced Steph Watts. Steph Watts, yeah, they haven't replaced Steph Watts. So I'm kind of look. I'll be honest. I'm scratching my head about this one. There's obviously some logic behind it. Yeah, I'm still a bit unsure why they haven't replaced Steph Watts yet. And I know that she's still. I think she's still in Australia, and her parents ended up coming over. Looked like they had a nice Christmas with. Shane Hill and Charlotte with the family and stuff. But I'm still not too sure whether I haven't signed an injury replacement there. But the Chelsea situation. Yeah, so I remember watching especially the first game and obviously Steph Watts started and then uh, Chelsea got subbed on. I'm like, oh, yeah, they do have a second import. Why is she sitting on the bench? Yeah. Isn't, isn't your job as the import to be starting and leading the team to victory? Why is she sitting on the bench? So I wasn't too sure if perhaps maybe she had picked up a niggly injury in some of the preseason stuff, but then it just seemed like she was, yeah, just more and more spending spending more time on the bench. And basically what I heard about that situation, it was an amicable breakup. Yeah. Um, it was it just wasn't working for either Chelsea or the club in a sense that Chelsea wasn't performing to what they needed and to their expectations and Chelsea in return, felt like that the system wasn't the right fit for her. So off she went. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, in a situation like that, it's effectively a good good outcome for all parties concerned. Mm. Um, obviously, 
trying to replace Steph Watt is an issue for the team. Mm. And I'm not sure what they're going to do about it. It's a big hole in the roster. Yeah, it's definitely a big hole in the roster. And I know that of their squad as well uh, are in isolation because I think a big chunk of the team actually have COVID. So that's also going to be a bit of a setback for them, having essentially lost two imports, waiting for the other one to arrive, integrate into the team, waiting to get back on court. Yeah, so it's not an ideal start for, for them. Hopefully they'll be able to rest and recuperate and doing all the right things while they're recovering so the return to court isn't as jarring. I think the other thing that I need to try and remind myself as well is that when these games keep getting postponed, then we have to kind of go back and remember, hold on, when was the last time they played? Yeah, the Flames haven't played for, I think it's three weeks now. Yeah, it it feels like a long time. Yeah, and obviously that's also going to have an impact on the the team's ability to be able to stay match fit. I'm not talking practice fit because I'm sure they're out there practicing as as much as they possibly can given all the constraints but it's not the same as as match fitness no no way no way nothing can replace that if i remember right they've only played three games yeah so far. They, yeah they've only played three the last game was on the 22nd of december against the boomers um yep. at home and they were due to play Bendigo on the 28th, which we were all geared up and ready to go to until that was postponed. Um, yep. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's going on three weeks now since they played. Yeah. Okay. So we've had a couple of, let's say, let's just call it interesting incidents this season. Okay. We'll start off with talking about the uh, Tiffany Mitchell, the rules on hair which, I mean, we spoke about with Kayla at length. Obviously not a great look for the league and BA. It's probably soured things a little bit, and it's certainly, I think it's definitely fired up Melbourne as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, No, I agree. I think uh, a lot of times in these adverse situations, it gives people an opportunity and teams an opportunity to form their bond and, and bond a little bit closer um, and handle that adversity, as as Graffy would say, um, a little bit better than they would under normal circumstances. So, yeah, you're right. If anything, it's it's brought them closer together. It's made them more united, and I think it's made them more fired up to win the championship. Yeah, and obviously with Guy Malloy moving to New Zealand after this season, they've got even more incentive to get that over the line. And the other the other really big one is the integrity breach. And oh, <laughs> yeah. everybody's got an opinion on this one, and I'm probably going to get banned from Canberra forever for saying this, um, <laughs> but the result should go. It should be struck off the list. Oh, yeah, like the Canberra should lose their points for winning that game. Yeah, I know. I totally, I totally agree with that. Okay, so that means both of us are going to be banned from Canberra for the rest of our lives. <laughs> There's two things about the situation, and I know, look, I know everybody's had comment. I know Shane Hill's made lots of comments on the basketball show about this. Like we've said it before and we've talked about it, it was a game of two halves. Mm. The bit that I don't get is, and I've got to be really, really honest about this one, is first of all, why would you hand over the film? And the second thing is, why would you take the film? And I can't yeah. make sense of either of those questions. When the news first broke about this situation, the first thing that came to my mind was, yeah, that's not your take to be taking, first of all. But I I kind of was wondering if it was a situation where, you know, the referee approached the coach and said, hey, I've got this tape, here you go, love your work, mate, see you later, and just kind of placed it in his lap. And the coach didn't ask for it or didn't want it but just had it and then didn't use it. And then as the story developed, it was like, you know, this was a, the tape was a practice game of the Flames against the under-18 boys. Uh, the tape was used for referee coaching. The tape was taken and given to the coach. The coach used it and played it to his team and used it as like a video session. And I was like, oh, no, this is a whole, a whole lot more than what I was anticipating. I thought, I think I texted you, 
the same thing, Paul, where I kind of thought it was a situation where someone's like, hey, mate, do you want some drugs? Here's some drugs. Just put. I'm just going to put them in your pocket and you can have them or, or you, can, you can dispose of them. Do whatever you want with them. And this person didn't want the drugs, but now they're stuck with the drugs and they get caught with the drugs and now they're in trouble even though they didn't want them. So I thought maybe that was the situation happening with, with the coach in question that he was just kind of sprung with this tape that he didn't ask for. But then I learned that he had actually took it to training and showed it to his team. That's a whole other thing, a whole other thing. So much about this makes no sense. First of all, what possessed the referee to hand the film over? It's going to get out, right? You know, I mean, it's not going to stay a secret for, you know, forever and a day. It's going to get out somehow. The so, one thing guaranteed in the WNBL is that nothing is sacred. Nothing. <laughs> you can't keep secrets in a WNBL circle because someone is always going to blub and it gets out like wildfire. There's not, no, no, no man. So the, the big question there is why would you do it? That's, that's, I suppose that's my number one question. The number two question is, I mean, look, coaches are wired to want to win. There's no two ways about that. But why? I just, look, I'll be honest. The thing that I'm surprised about more than anything else is kind of like the, the lack of communication back from the league in relation to what's gone on with this and the integrity committee and, you know, how this has been handled. And there's been lots of opinions about it on social media, but the truth is, you know, you've got a league that people want to watch and they want to feel that there's an integrity to the league and that means there's got to be transparency. It's got to be out there for all and sundry to see, okay? Mm. By not doing that, you're actually leaving more questions open for, for people to ask. The decision was there was no advantage to the Caps from having the film. Okay, they won, right? <laughs> Coach Heal has said they knew all our plays, all our calls, they knew everything that we were going to do. Okay, then they should have won by a million. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, but there's question marks over all of this unless yeah. there's some level of transparency where the league comes or BA or the league comes out and says, okay, hey, this is the decision and this is the rationale for the decision. We might agree with it. We might not agree with it but at least there's an understanding of why that decision was made. And that may also go towards answering some of the questions of, well, you know, why was it done? Why did it happen? Yeah, look, it's a, it's one of those black eyes for the, the sport that it doesn't mm-hmm. need at the moment. No. Like you make a really good point about how they didn't provide a rationale for the punishments that the, the referee and the coach received. Because in any other setting, if you do something wrong, there's always some kind of like bylaw, constitution, protocol, something that is purposely created for these situations that in any situation that are similar situations that happen, they're all measured against the same thing. So all of the punishments are going to be fair based on what was created, right? So like you said, no rationale as to why one person got a longer punishment than the other why someone's punishment was a date and the other punishment was a number of games or whatever like that. Or I think the coach's punishment was they would miss so many weeks rather than missing so many games. So now with all these postponements, they're not actually going to miss as many games as anticipated because games have been postponed. So the number of weeks are going to end before so many games. But, yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. There's no rationale, there's no kind of governing document or anything that can help us provide a few more answers and justification as to, like, why, why the outcome was what it was. And, I mean, how could, I don't think you can really call yourself an integrity unit if this is kind of how you operate. Most, like, if you look at the NRL and the AFL, there's a lot of clarity. The rules are known and they're applied and if they're not applied equally, people are outraged and they'll say, hey, what's going on? And you don't have to go too far. If you just look at the end of the Formula One season, the rules have not been applied the same way at different times. And it's caused a huge outcry. 
this is the stuff that sports doesn't need. No. You know? They just need to be able to say, okay, this is the rule. If you get caught with a film that you're not supposed to have, that's it. Your team loses so many points or you lose you as a the individual who had access to it or you who gave it to them. You're struck out for, I don't know, a season, half a season, whatever it is, but it's known up front. And I think probably for me one of the biggest things about this is it kind of taints the caps. And I'm not saying that this has happened before, but it's just one of those question marks that people, there are people that will have always about the caps because of this. And the one person that I think is probably going to be the most disappointed by this would be Carrie Graff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. She doesn't, she is not about any of those kinds of, cheats or strategies or anything that that is exactly the antithesis of what she has dedicated her life and her career to yeah I, I imagine she would have been fuming when it happened and I'm really surprised by the coach in question I'm really surprised that he was caught up in this I think that's why I gave him the benefit of the doubt at the start where I thought oh maybe he was just caught out with something that he didn't ask for before it took her that far, I was really, really surprised. And you're, you don't want some, you know, a club like the Caps and their legacy to have this tarnish of cheating and to now always have this brand of cheating because it was a Canberra ref who took it to the Canberra coach. And, I mean, and then it kind of makes your, made my thinking go in a worse place of like, well, how long has this been going on for? It kind of brought up some questions of match fixing as well. If it's so easy just to cheat and give you know a training tape to a coach like how do we know that hasn't happened before how how do we know that this wasn't just the one time that they got caught because so what I heard as well is that the tape was used a caps video session one of the caps text messaged the one of the flames players and said oh how fun is this we're watching one of your practice games and then that's how it started yeah see (laughs) whether that's true or not I don't know but it's like it's a great example of you can't stuff like this is never going to stay quiet it's always going to come out but additionally the team gets a taint now i'm going to look at the nfl for a minute the new england patriots got a really bad reputation because at one point they'd had somebody who was lip reading the opposition team's calls <laughs> oh my gosh what yeah. what yeah <laughs> And that's why that's why now, if you watch the NFL, you'll see the coaches when they're talking, they get their play card and they cover their mouth. And the same team when Tom Brady was playing for them, you know, there was the 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 whole thing about the underinflated ball. So oh, I got right, deflate gate, deflate gate, deflate gate. That's right. So right or wrong, okay, I'm not making a call on either of those incidents, but right or wrong, from that point on, there were question marks about that team. Same happened in baseball. The team from Texas, I think it's the Diamondbacks, they were found to have done something the year that they'd won the World Series. And now every it's it's almost like, oh, did this team do this? Did this team do that? Did this team do the other? And, you know, a team with the legacy of the Caps shouldn't be tainted like this. Mm. Put everything else aside. Put aside the game, put aside the points, put aside everything else. Okay, there's a lot of people who have contributed to the legacy of the Caps over the years. You know, Cary Graff, Lauren Jackson, the list is is huge. Right? Mm. Too long to get into here. And it's just not right, not for a team like that. No, no. It was all very surprising and disappointing. And, the, yeah, the last team and coach I would expect to do something like that. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if it was handled appropriately. I, I would still like to understand the motivations between, you know, what, why the tape was given, why the tape was accepted. And I wonder why as well, actually, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong because my knowledge of other sports is very limited. But if something like this were to happen in, say, uh, AFL, wouldn't this go to a tribunal? Oh, yeah, yeah they've, got, they've got a tribunal and it's not only like going, there, like going to court. Yeah, you know yeah. they got they everybody lawyers up. 
they go in there. Everybody knows when it's being heard. There's media in there. It, like, you know, it's a media scrum outside. Soon and as it's just... all over and done with, the reporters come out and, you know, in a lot of cases, if it's something really big, it's live to air. Um, now, I'm not saying that you'd be getting a live cross for the WNBL. It would be great if we did, mm. but preferably for good stuff. But everybody knows what's happening. Everybody knows who's involved. Everybody knows who's on the tribunal. Everybody knows what the decisions were. The arguments to and fro on everything that's gone into it is known. Mm. You know, it's analysed and sliced and diced three different ways for days afterwards. So, yeah, this is the stuff that needs to happen Mm. so that everybody's feeling far more confident in the way situations like this are handled. There were too many column inches that were dedicated to the Liz Cambage situation where there were lots of question marks over it, okay? Mm. I don't want to rehash that, but what's happened is it's effectively been repeated again. And yeah. all you have yeah. to do and is think, look at I think that really social... annoyed people. That really yeah. annoyed people, yeah. Yeah, and all you have to do is look at social media and you could see everybody was up in arms about it. It's like, hang on a minute, this is now two incidents in the space of you know, six months, and all we're getting is a press release, which tells us nothing, really, Mm. and nothing to see here move along. That's got to stop. The league has got to start, and when I say the league, I mean BA, right? They've just got to start saying, okay, we can't keep the fans in the dark. If we want the fans to engage with the sport, we have to engage with the fans. And the irony of saying it's from the integrity unit. So that tribunal process that you were describing, the point of those things is to maintain the integrity of the league, of the professionalism that the league is expected of its players, of the quality and standard that they hold everyone accountable to. That's the integrity. And here, we, like we said, we have a nameless and faceless press release from the mythical beings that are Basketball Australia that kind of, you know, sit in the clouds like the Roman gods of the olden days. I couldn't tell you who does what, what their names are, what they're responsible for. It's, yeah, if, if we seriously want to be considered side by side with all of the other popular sports and be taken seriously, they're the types of things that we need to start doing. And I, I just don't understand why something as serious as the Liz Cambage incident, where there were lots of, lots of very malicious stories about what actually happened for that said incident against Nigeria. How something like that doesn't go to an ex- – it needs to be an external body. Yeah, I did notice that um, I think it was last week Matt Logue had an interview with the CEO of Basketball Australia where they said one of these comments was, look, we've enacted all this stuff that we've been wanting to do, but we haven't been telling people about it and we probably should. Yes, the fans need to know. This is a time when there's huge competition for eyeballs. The WNBL season is going to be competing with NRLW and AFLW. You've got netball who's making huge strides. They're pushing hard to become an Olympic sport. It's time for the sport to actually say, yeah, we've got to engage with our fans to get them to actually have that level of confidence in the bodies that organises the sport to then also tell people, you know, this is this is a sport that you really want to be following. It's time where there's got to be a much better level of communication between Basketball Australia, the WNBL, and the fans because we've got to get that confidence level back up because at the moment I think it's actually pretty low. And I don't know, you know, the longest-running female league in Australia's history we still, you know, 40-plus years on, we still want to be taken seriously. We still want to be valued for the talent that we have and the worth that we have next to our other sports in Australia. But if our governing body isn't going to take it seriously enough to be transparent and to actually adopt proper integrity practice uh, practices like our other sports do, then how do we expect anyone else to take us seriously? It needs to come from the top. They need to set the standard and the precedent of this is who we are and this is how we're going to be and this is we're showing yourself value. I want to wrap up this this episode on an up. I also want to say 
I believe that if the league actually takes these steps, actually starts to engage better with the fan base, engage with the community, basketball's got a huge advantage over a lot of other sports. And the reason for that is, number one, you can represent your country in international competition. You can represent your country at the Olympics. You can represent your country at that pinnacle of sport. You've got the ability to be able to go overseas and play with the best in the world. And many other sports don't really provide that pathway. Yeah, you can go play college. You can go, you know, uh, play all the different leagues in the country and all the different NBL1 tournaments. You can go play New Zealand. Like there's so many more pathways. And you, look, you're not going to go uh, play college for cricket, are you? I'm not going no. to America to play cricket on a cricket scholarship. No, no. They really don't get the game anyway. And, uh, but, and you'd be lucky to find an American college that would be giving away rugby league or rugby union scholarships. Maybe if you played rugby union over there, you'd probably be the best on the team anyway. But what pathway have you got after that? You're not going to come back and play in RL after playing college. No, that's the whole thing. This is the advantage that basketball has. And more importantly, with more and more focus on women's sports, it's a really key time. World Cup coming up, this is the time. It's time to throw out the old rule book, right, which was, hey, we keep the fans at arm's length. Get the fans engaged. The fans want to be engaged. The fan, the fact that the fans arc up so much when stuff like this happens says you've got a passionate fan base. Definitely, definitely. You can get, you can turn all those fans into boosters for the sport by turning around and engaging with them in a positive way. Do that, and the sport, particularly with the World Cup coming up, there's going to be media attention on the on the game, media attention on the event. This is what needs to happen to be able to get people to engage with the game. Yeah, and the whole thing with engagement is really interesting because I heard on another podcast how the New Zealand Breakers in the NBL are 0 and 6. However, they've got the most Twitter followers of any NBL team because they engage with their fans. Even when people are giving them a hard time online about being 0 and 6, they engage. They come back with, you know, funny gifts, self-deprecating comments. It's great. It's very entertaining, but it's because they all engage with whoever comments with them and that's how they're getting their following. It's a no-brainer. One of the things that I'm really positive about in relation to basketball and the WNBL is the fact that people want it to succeed. Mm. Okay, You see lots of comments in social media. Everybody wants the sports to succeed. You see the commentary. It's like, Guys, can you tell us what's happening? Can you do this, something to be able to make sure that we get more games? These are fans that want to see the sport. We can build the sport. We can make the sport. I'm not saying that we're going to get it back to where it was in the 90s overnight, but getting it back to that level, more than realistic. And uh, even little things like when we, you know, we I, I really honestly truly love having the games back on multiple platforms being ABC, KO and Foxtel. But just little things like making sure that the score's up to date when there's a live stream or how about the commentators are provided with some stats. Uh, we haven't been provided with a halftime wrap-up or, or recap in any of the KO streams in the last couple of rounds. Now, you compare that to the NBL, you know, they've got the three commentators, the one being the, the game caller and I guess the two experts or whatever. But every halftime, you know who's got the stats, you know where they're shooting shots, you at least have the score right. Now, I'm not saying that it needs to be the same production level, but just the basics of some stats and the score, I think, would already be a big help because a lot of a lot of the stuff I was seeing on Twitter, especially for the last couple of games, was, hey, can, does anyone know the score? Again, back to that Perth-Adelaide game, like the score just didn't update for quite a while. You know, mm. buckets were dropping, the numbers weren't changing. Look, these are easy things to fix. Yeah. You know, it's – and I get – look, I get that the technical problems happen, okay? I really do get that. But it's time that if the league is is willing to work with and engage with the fans, there's nothing to stop the sport growing and becoming front of mind for a lot more people and bring in 
particularly those people that play that don't necessarily watch the WNBL or don't engage with watching watching basketball on TV. <clears throat> totally. And it's really interesting because I was a guest on another podcast recording and one of the questions was, what can we do uh, to help, you know, support women's sport and to be be an ally? And it was really funny that they asked that question because within like minutes or, out, you know, very, very close to the time we were talking about it, the Female Athlete Project posted on Instagram a few slides of five ways that you can support women's sport in 2022. And it was just things like I likened it to being a supportive friend. You've just got to turn up. you just got to turn on the TV. You've got to buy a ticket to the game. If it's accessible to you, buy some merch. And we talked about accessibility to merch, which is a whole other thing. But just be yeah. that supportive friend and just turn up. And it's yeah. just such a nice, simple post that the Female Athlete Project put up. Um, obviously, the other things was membership and uh, what's the other thing? There was four. I should know that. I'm a bit embarrassed now that I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, maybe that's a, enough incentive for our listeners to go and check out the post themselves and they'll go, ah, that was the fifth thing that she forgot. But that's it. That's all you got to do is just, just turn up. Because there are lots of fans. We still want to turn up. We're still hanging around. We still want to be engaged. Just Let's just support each other. But it needs a concerted effort. And we need to be able to talk to, be able to connect with the fans. We, even people, like a podcast like ours, we need to be able to talk to people and ask questions to people at BA because one media outlet isn't going to cover it all. Not everybody reads the Daily Telegraph. Not everybody wants to read News Limited stuff. They just don't. There's a whole lot of other channels that need to be engaged to be able to get out to those fans. Look, we do this podcast because we like basketball, but I think we also do this podcast because we believe that the sport has got a long way to go and there's there's a great journey there. Yeah, and we feel like it's something that's worth celebrating. Like we love it. We want heaps of other people to love it. You know, as Dr. Casey Simon told us in that early episode, it's all of these little alternative media outlets that are run by fans and driven by fandom that is not really going to help promote the sports that we really, really like. So, I mean, we'll still be there and still be cheering. And the World Cup is like our own Olympics. It's our own personalised Olympics in our backyard, especially. I mean, for those, hopefully we've got some listeners from overseas who are like planning to come to the World Cup. We'd love to see you all come to the World Cup and celebrate our own little basketball Olympics. Um, yep. I don't know, maybe we should start some kind of trend online or something, Paul, like a, a ridiculous countdown or a hashtag or a something. <laughs> okay. Okay. Jacinta, it's great to, to have you back on the show, for us to be doing the show again uh, after the Christmas New Year break. There's a whole lot of really interesting stuff coming up this year. Apart from the World Cup, we've got some really interesting guests that we'll be speaking to. I can't wait. I reckon the stuff that we're going to be getting into over the next few months is going to be amazing. It's going to be a journey. I recommend everyone book a ticket and uh, and come along with us. Absolutely. That's it. <laughs> As always, thanks, Jacinta, and we'll be speaking soon. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.